in the world of sports, it is just as important to have a strong mental game as it is to have a strong physical game. You know, you'll see a lot of players with so much physical talent and ability, but they break because they're not well conditioned mentally. So today we're diving into mental conditioning by bringing on an expert who has over 19 years of experience in this field, working with elite athletes and elite coaches. I'm talking the Nick Sabans, the Jimbo Fishers, the Kirby Smarts, and many others. He's worked alongside Russell Wilson for quite a few years now. He knows what he's talking about. He even wrote a book about it. It's called It Takes What It Takes. So I want you guys to pay attention, listen up, learn from this guy about the the way that he helps athletes and coaches and programs with mental conditioning because it's not just for athletes it's for anybody and you're going to love this episode of the game time guru so what time is it game time if you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets well so was i so i started my own show i'm shane larson and this is the game time guru it's different than other talk shows i'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens so buckle up and let's go What's up, everybody? Shane Larson here, the host of the show. Before we get started into the interview, I just want to remind everybody to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. We have that you know, goal to get to 100 reviews. We've had over 47,000 downloads of the show, so please make sure to leave me a review as we try to get to 100 and we continue to break barriers with the show. Thank you to all the supporters and uh, everybody who's been following the show. And if you're new, welcome aboard. Hit that subscribe button so you can catch all the interviews coming forward as well. Hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru Podcast. And you know this by now. This week, we're going to be talking about mental conditioning and what better way to do that than to bring on a world-renowned mental conditioning expert, a strategic advisor. He's Russell Wilson's mental coach. His name is Trevor Moad. He's also the author of It Takes What It Takes, How to Think Neutrally and Gain Control of Your Life. We're going to talk to him and talk a little bit about his book today. Trevor, thanks so much for joining the show. You bet. My pleasure. Man, it's, uh, it's an honor to have you on here, Trevor. Just a quick back uh, backstory here. I was introduced to your book about six weeks ago. It had just probably it was it was it had been out for a couple of weeks, I think. It, it was some, somewhat new, I thought. Uh, but my friend at work had told me, hey, Shane, I know you have your show. It's a pretty well-known show now. Uh, I know you love sports. You're going to love this book. And he wasn't wrong. I grabbed the book. My eyes were glued to it. I took crazy amounts of notes while I was re- uh, reading through it. And I was just super inspired by your work. So I appreciate you, man. Thank you. You bet. My pleasure. Now, Trevor, let's let's get to know you a little bit better as far as what you're doing. You know, you're you're a mental conditioning expert and strategic advisor, but some people may not fully understand that because in the sports world, it's kind of not talked about a lot, I guess, if, if you will. So, I mean, let's talk about where you started in your sports world and how you got into this field of work. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for most of, I mean, first of all, Shane, it's a pleasure to join the show. Uh, glad you read the book. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, after 19 years in the sports world um, and, and kind of working behind the scenes, it was it was neat just to bring some of the concepts, um, you know, that that are that are largely sort of mirror the self help industry. Um, they're just you know basically taught differently, um, you know, in, in a way that is more palatable, you know, to an audience that's much different than a business audience or. Uh, a yoga audience or, you know, or, or, or even many, many people that might be listening to the show that are looking to get better. Um, you know, athletes are already at the top of their game and, 
you know, they're the best of the best, but they have uh, really, you know, significant expectations that they got to uh, adhere to in order just to survive in their sport, uh, you know, let alone be good in it. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's uh, the, the, the best way to sort of describe the field you know, in, in, to some degree, is kind of Tony Robbins. You know, people kind of know Tony Robbins as a motivator, as an educator. You know, obviously, he's, you know, uh, probably more connected now with wealth and, and other things. But but your job, you know, if you work in the sports psychology or, or mental conditioning industry in sports is, is to provide value to the athlete, to the coaches, uh, you know, in whatever way you can strategically. Um, and so, you know, we have a basic kind of core, um, way that, that, that I facilitate and teach, um, that, the, that the book kind of drives forward, which is, um, you know, we're, we're not, uh, ambassadors or teachers of the power of positive thinking. Uh, we don't subscribe really to mindfulness or meditation. Not that those don't have value. We just look at those as, as, uh, very advanced concepts. Uh, we focus at a much granular, more simple level, uh, the minimization of negativity learning how to be neutral thinkers. Um, and then I think, you know, for, for me, a lot of my exposure, I was raised in uh, Tacoma, Washington, lived my first 17 years. My dad, you know, in the mid-70s, left uh, teaching and coaching up in uh, a Clover Park High School in uh, Lakewood, Washington, and went into this field with a company called the Pacific Institute, where they started working with uh, businesses like Boeing and um, uh, IBM and, and NASA that were that were basically trying to find ways to get more out of an eight-and-a-half-hour day relative to their employees, and they believed that there was uh, some training that could really help them. And, uh, and then my dad would go on to be the president of the National Association for Self-Esteem, as well as one of the first authors of the book uh, series, Chicken Soup for the Soul. So I had a lot of education early on. I went through my own adversity, where, you know, health-wise, which, which sort of uh, cemented the power of my mind, uh, you know, in my own journey. Um, and I, you know, I think that, uh, uh, then I ended up at IMG Academy for 12 years ago, or for 12 years, a thousand high school athletes, many of the best athletes in the world, uh, that live there in Florida. Uh, and that, that allowed me as the director of training to oversee all aspects relative to human performance, as well as teach sports psychology and mental conditioning. So it, it's crazy. A kid from Tacoma, Washington, uh, you know, I was a good athlete in school, played two sports that, in college, but uh, to, to to be where I've been, to be a part of eight national championships games, uh, to be a part of winning five, um, and uh, you know Georgia, Alabama, Florida State, U.S. Army Special Operations Command, Russell Wilson, you know uh, to name just many of the the neat people that I've been able to meet along the journey. Uh, pretty pretty cool for a kid from the Northwest. Man, I, I love hearing that though, man. And, and I'll tell you, Trevor, it's not you're not the first person I've heard that's at an elite level from Tacoma. Uh, my very favorite basketball player growing up, he was my role model, which is I, I idolized him. His name was Roberto Bergerson. He actually went to Boise State, which is my alma mater, but he was from Tacoma, Washington. And so then he ended up going to the NBA, and he was on my show too, sharing his story. So Tacoma must be uh, producing some top tier talent out there, man. I tell you what. Um, so Trevor, you talked about it. So you're at IMG Academy. You had quite the experience to get to that level I mean and I, I would encourage everybody to read the book so that we you know you can learn more about it in detail but you know you go to IMG Academy you have this experience as an athlete like you just um, talked about before um, and, and then you go over to Jacksonville to the Jaguars and you you mentioned in the book an experience with Fred Taylor and that was kind of 
like a tougher athlete to work with. Can you give a little bit of insight without giving away the house, you know, um, what you had to work with with Fred? I think in general, uh, I mean, and this is where I think if you're, if you're, look, there are organizations that have a sports psychologist, you have a problem, you go see him. Uh, mental conditioning is a little more proactive. It's a little more strategic. There are some sports psychologists, I'm sure, that do it exactly um, the same way I would do it, and they have the clinical background. But, you know, for the most part, um, my population, so, you know, like last year I was with the Major League Baseball team, and I know, like, the first time I get up, the GM introduced me, the president, you know, team president introduced me, and then I get up. I know those 78 players are looking at me like, fuck this guy. You know, like, they, they don't want to listen to me. They, they haven't had a good experience with it. Everything has been about breathing, being told to be positive after they're 0 for 11, you know. And, and, and so, you know, the vast majority, I think, of the industry in and around mental conditioning and sports psychology and what's been taught, you know, for, as uh, world-class athletes, they're not buying it. So, you know, Fred Taylor was from Belle Glade, which is a, 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 a really tough part uh, just south of Miami. And... Uh, you know, and, and he had played for the, the Jaguars in this, you know, in his first year, you know, at seven or eight straight games with 100-yard games. And, uh, but, but, you know, he lived a, a rough life kind of off the field, didn't know how to take care of his body. And, you know, by the end of his third year, he was almost out of the league. And the coach knew that if they didn't fix him, that they were going to have a real problem relative to the success of the team. And, you know, they tried some, you know, he, he, he wasn't going to meet with a clinical psychologist. He wasn't going to do any of those things. Uh, we had been at IMG Academy. It, uh, my, my, my business partner at that point, Chad Bowling, who's now the director of mental conditioning for the New York Yankees. And uh, we kind of ran our football program. And we would meet with these guys, getting them ready for the Wonderlick, just going through, this is what day one looks like of the NFL Combine. This is day two. And then, you know, talking with them, having good relationships, but being, being very normal while still providing meaningful information uh, that revolves, you know, around that mental space. So I think that that was, uh, you know, so they, they had heard about us, you know, and uh, Tom Coughlin hired, you know, ultimately gave us the opportunity. And, and you know, Fred was, a, uh, was, was really uh, challenging uh, in the sense um, from the outside perspective. But basically, you know, the guy just wanted to play a full season without an injury. That was really his goal. You know, he wanted to play a full season without an injury. And, and then, you know, as the book kind of goes into uh, we went through a lot of reasons why he wanted to do that to really establish, you know, motivation is two parts. It's motive and it's action. Um, and, and we wanted to, you know, the motive, like, why do you want to play 16 games? Obviously there, there was a financial component. There's a personal moment of uh, component. He'd, he'd been nicknamed fragile Fred that really bothered him. Um, and then you, you do the action, like, okay, what's the plan that's going to give him a chance and, and what are the behaviors that he's got to, you know, adapt, you know, uh, and really understand as to why he hasn't been able to do it his first three seasons. And so we kind of go into that whole experience. And um, I'm a big believer, Shane, in that your behavior precedes your success. You know, Russell Wilson, uh, you know, his first four years at $280,000 a year at the league minimum, obviously is a mid-round draft pick. He was already behaving like a $36 million a year highest paid uh, athlete in the history of football, which he is now. And he was doing that, you know, by far before he ever got to 
uh, the NFL. And then even when he got to NC State and they tried to move him to defensive back, um, there's, there's a way that you can kind of go about your business um, uh, to allow you to succeed. People give far too much credit to aptitude, not enough to behavior. People put way too much emphasis in emotions and not enough in, in their behavior. I, I think, again, whether you're going through cancer, whether you're, uh, you know, uh, trying to do a Zoom meeting right now, uh, whether you're navigating your business, whether you've been furloughed, whether you're in a world-class athlete, um, there are a set of things that you can do that will allow you to be successful. Um, and, and it comes down to objectively, you either do them or you don't. And that's the whole idea of the book. It takes what it takes. You know, there's nothing wrong with not doing it. I don't mind average people, you know, as long as average people understand that average people become average through average behavior not average, not average aptitude, you know, and I think really good performers. I was a high school teacher for four years. And I think uh, a great teacher, uh, you know, the way that they lesson plan, the way that every 10 minutes they're switching up uh, where they're standing in the room and activities versus talking versus uh, visuals, you know, like all of that stuff is, is you're not just born with that. Uh, a good marriage, a good relationship is a set of behaviors making the time to communicate it's not a gift. We, we, we might have more gifts in some areas than others, uh, and there may be truth to that. But, um, you know, I, I think far too many people look at athletes in that world and say, I can never do that, you know, when really the truth that they need to, to, to explore is, I don't want to do that, you know, and, 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 and not wanting to be good, not wanting to be exceptional. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's out there for everybody. Totally, man. And and what I really appreciate appreciate about you and your story and everything is just how real you are with everything. Um, and in the book too, Trevor, you you go into detail with a lot of stuff, and you got a little bit vulnerable in there, um, which I really appreciated because I related to to a certain extent when you were talking about you know going through a life changing experience just a few years back, um, you know, and and you mentioned this quote unquote. You you stated this. It's like almost like a super size me type thing that you went through this little, uh, experiment, if you will, uh, experience, if you will, uh, regarding consumption of negative content, negative media, just negativity, because you preach all the time. And this is the same for like, you have been, just been talking about for the sports world, for the business world, negativity is it's, there's nothing good that comes from it. It's always going to be right. Like there's it's negative a hundred percent of the time. So you're trying to eliminate negativity and think neutrally, but you talk about, like the impact of negative consumption, like consumption of negative media. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that experience that you went through? And um, you don't have to go like they can read it through your book, but just kind of like what the impact of negative consumption had on you. I mean, I just, you know, I had a year where a lot of things didn't go my way. I mean, it, it had a couple of years that have, that, have, that have provided, you know, unique challenges. That's for sure. Um, you know, and, and, um, uh, and divorce and, and other elements and, 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 you know, the, the, those are, those things just happen from time to time. And, and that you have to understand, you got to own it. You got to play your role and you got to, you know, all those things. But I had a friend from the special operations community that kind of right in the middle of all this, you know, just said, um, this might be a, a unique opportunity for you to really, while you're in the middle of all this adversity, you know, uh, uh, start, you know, one of my, you know, believe, beliefs is, is not only what we say out loud, um, you know, has a huge effect on us. If it's, if, it, if it's negative, it's four to seven times more powerful than if it's positive. 
And if we're verbalizing it, it's, it's 10 times on top of that. So negative statements are 70 times more powerful, uh, have 70 times the impact on us as if we didn't say them at all. So learning how to not externalize things is, is externalize negativity, complaining, frustration, verbalizing that. You can think it, but the verbalization of it's really powerful. But there's also a secondary port, which is consumption. And it's, it, it's the consuming of, of music, it's television, it's the people that, that we're choosing to be around. Sometimes we can't control that. Um, and uh, so while I was in the middle of this adversity, I wanted to see, how, you know, um, if, if I could overcome negativity myself, you know, based upon, you know, you know, whatever the sports world's best brain trainer is from Sports Illustrated, my education, the way I was raised, all those things. And, and so four hours, you know, for, for four hours a day, I just consumed, you know, I, I picked the, the worst uh, TV news station for me and got 90 minutes of that. And I listened to an hour of, um, uh, you know, heavy metal, anthrax, all those elements all through my ears. And then, uh, you know, I did 90 minutes of uh, new country music, you know, which going to, at the end of a divorce, going through like new country. And, and I was never allowed to listen to country, uh, watch the nightly news or listen to rhythm and blues or any of that stuff growing up. My dad just, you know, my dad loved the, the, the melodies of country and all the elements and things, but he just, you know, his, he firmly believed that, 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 uh, you know, they, they, they were really negative and, and, uh, you know, brought that in. So, but after, you know, I did a 30 day experiment and after 26 days, you know, I was almost in a state of clinical depression. We monitored, you know, how many songs I listened to, what I did. And then we monitored all my text messages. My tone had completely changed. My ability to, to, you know, to see forward had it completely changed. Um, I, I could kind of only see my life backwards. Um, and so it was a really, uh, it was a difficult, uh, thing to go through. And I took probably three, four days just to recover from it psychologically. I was, you know, I, I had somebody at a very high level facilitating the plan for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we, we talk about that and, and I think, you know, well, how does that equate to now? You know, normally in life you have work and you got these other things and, and if you're a dumbass, you know, in my opinion, that consumes a lot of negative stuff, you just you just do it either because you're unconsciously incompetent uh, or you like just, you know, negative stuff. Um, you know, now you don't have that balance. So and, and plus you feel like you got to be educated. You got to kind of know what's going on, which obviously to some degree for sure you do right now. Um, so, you know, we've got people six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours, um, 11, 12 hours a day you know, watching press conferences and briefings and all those things, which, you know, you have to ask yourself really, what actually is helpful for me? What do I actually need to know? And, um, you know, uh, as a great athlete, it's always compelled to, to do. And, um, you know, negativity is undefeated. And, and we never really worry about changing the thinking of it. Eventually, second, third year working with athletes, we'll focus on the thinking uh, but really the externalization and the consumption. Cause I always, for the most part, control what I consume. And, and I certainly always control what I say. And if there's people listening, well, you know, I need to, what do you want me to hold, want me to keep it in? You know, and not say it out loud? Yes. You would benefit by far more by keeping it in than by saying it out loud. You know, it's so, Awesome. You just said that, by the way, because when I was in that chapter of the book talking about the verbalization, uh, you gave specific examples, one of Bill Buckner, one of Pete Maravich. Um, and I thought it was crazy The one of Pete Maravich guys like, listen up here, everyone, like 
He specifically said, I don't want to play 10 years and die of a heart attack at age 40. Well, then I encouraged my listeners after I read that chapter, I said, hey, I read this in this book. Go check out what happened to Pete Maravich. And just like, you know, call it coincidence, call it what you will. But like, there is some validity to what you're stating. I mean, it's it, like you just said, negativity is undefeated. Like, stop verbalizing your negative thoughts. I, I love that piece. So I'm glad that you just mentioned that here. And, you know, I again, guys, go read this book. It's called It Takes What It Takes, How to Think Neutrally and Gain Control of Your Life. You'll hear more of Trevor's story about his his uh, 30-day exper- experiment that he just went through um, that he talked about right now and how he kind of, in a sense, went into clinical depression after 26, 26 and a half days, which you mentioned um, is when it finally broke. Now, Let's 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 talk about something positive real quick to to wrap up the show, Trevor. I mean, I wanna I wanna see you know like I love the fact that you you bring this aspect to the athletic world as, as well as the business world. I mean, you've worked with tons of people, and uh, you know you you work with so many awesome figures. You already mentioned what like nine national championships you've been a, a part of. You know, Russell Wilson's obviously won a Super Bowl, uh, lost another one in dramatic fashion, but you work with him directly. And you know, I'm curious. You've been around a lot of a lot of like a lot of amazing games, a lot of amazing teams, a lot of amazing coaches, and you reference some of them in your book. And I'm I'm curious, do you have a, like a favorite moment, sports moment, um, not as an athlete, but as a mental conditioning expert, like a strategic advisor? Do you have a, a favorite moment, whether it be a national championship or the Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, or is that too hard to answer? Uh, you know, it's it, it's interesting because I'm not a huge sports fan. I probably watch more HGTV than ESPN. And I think that's allowed me. I mean, I, I'm competitive. Obviously, I'm a college basketball and soccer player. Grew up loving basketball. But for the most part, I don't consume a lot of it. Um, but, you know, in, in, I think um, as I've gotten older, you know, particularly, you know, kind of now being in my 40s, I, I really, I, I basically, like, I was spoiled early on as the, the mental conditioning coach at Alabama 30, 35 days a year. And we won so much. And then Florida State, we won so much. But when I got to Georgia, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to enjoy more of this. So so there's been moments. I, I think for me, I remember um, – so I went to school at a, a, a great um, small private school called Occidental College, uh, which is which is right next to uh, Caltech and Harvey Mudd and Pomona Pitzer and Claremont. These are really good small colleges in Southern California. Um, and, um, and I really like three miles from the Rose Bowl. Well, my fourth Rose Bowl working as the sports psychology consultant at Georgia, I was like, I got to embrace this. Like I, I was, I'm a division three college athlete, you know, and I'm, I'm in my fourth Rose Bowl on the sideline, right in the middle of it, navigating. And I play a specific role for these teams in terms of my program, the things that I teach, my job with my players is facilitating all of our reminders to our quarterbacks, all those different things during the game. So when I went into that last Rose Bowl, I really wanted to try to every now and then just enjoy it. So I got out there early before the game. We were getting killed at half, and the book kind of goes into that. But there was a specific moment um, with about 50 seconds to go in the game. We had come back and uh, in dramatic fashion and – and uh, gone ahead, and then Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield went back ahead. And anyways, at this point, it was 45 to 45. Uh, we had just scored to tie the game. And uh, Baker Mayfield had the ball with a third and two at about their 40. And I'm leaning down on my knees right on the edge of the sideline, right between Kirby Smart, our head coach, 
and Mel Tucker, our defensive coordinator, kind of on my knees right between them. They're up to me, you know, and it's a beautiful night in Pasadena in Southern California, 103,000 people in the Rose Bowl, 30 million people watching, you know, and like I just kind of took a deep breath and said, you know, not like this is incredible. Like I need to make sure I enjoy this. We ended up getting the stop, going to overtime and uh, beating them in the second overtime. And then just, you know, just so that moment in particular, I, I really remember just kind of embracing it. Obviously, there have been incredible moments with Russ and, you know, Russ, it's not the team, but it's with his family in the box and Sierra and, and all the elements. And then, but I loved, you know, working with Texas A&M women's soccer and the U.S. under 21 women's national team or the U.S. under 17 boys soccer team with Freddie Adu and Josie Altidore and, and you know, Michael Bradley and those kids. Um, and, you know, I, Frosty Westering, the, the football coach at Pacific Lutheran University, had a great staying, make the big time where you are. I think for me, when I was a teacher coaching uh, high school women's soccer, uh, high school, uh, you know, men's and women's golf, um, you know, under 15 B club team, uh, like they got my absolute best. And, and I never really focused on the next step until I was good where I was at. Uh, and I think that that allowed me eventually to evolve. And then, you know, you know, at a young age, I got a lot of exposure to some of the best athletes in the world because I worked at IMG Academy and I was competent and knew what I was doing. Um, you know, and I was probably too young at that point to be with Serena or to be with a lot of them, but there, there weren't other people to do it. And I was able to, to execute it. And so, you know, um, I got a world-class education. You know, I have a master's in education with an emphasis in social science. But what I learned from experience, you know, uh, what I think this book tries to teach is, you know, infinitely more than, than I, you know, could have ever learned in a classroom. Oh, man, that is so cool. It's, it's just so cool for someone like myself. I'm in my early 30s, and I'm a sports fanatic, but I, I just listen to the people you've been around. In the book, I was reading it, and I'm like, man, this guy – is amazing like you're living a life that I would love to live but you're the expert I'm not so that's there's a reason you're where you're at because you've put the work in you you've utilized your skill set and you've attacked it and then you've even practiced what you preach like you mentioned in your experiment when you've gone through some hardships in life I think it's amazing and then that whole that whole description of the Rose Bowl against Oklahoma that's amazing it's just so cool to hear like the experiences that you've had now the last thing I'll ask you, Trevor, is just to kind of like in, inform my audience who the majority are either athletes or former athletes or someone who's involved in the world of sports. I mean, you've talked about it before how in sports, really the only thing that changes is your environment, right? And that's so true. Like, in, like the main thing that changes in sports, you go to a different you go to a different stadium, the weather might be different, the crowd's different, coaches are different that you're playing against, but that's the, the, the environment's what changes. But so what are some of the exercises or I guess the, the things that you guys do with the athletes to help them focus on the quote unquote now so they can focus on what's happening at the moment and just take advantage of the moment and think neutrally. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, typically um, we want everybody to understand the fundamentals of thinking. And so, you know, like, like what my own words, when I, you know, how my own words affect me versus, uh, other people's words, what I watch versus, um, you know, like, uh, like what I'm listening to, um, you know, how I'm teleological by nature, I move towards setting goals. Like we do a really good job of getting a baseline of information 
an education to all of our players. Uh, we do a lot of case studies. We'll study Usain Bolt. We'll study Tiger Woods. We'll study Drake. Why does Drake have 13 number one hits versus other people who seemingly have the same talent, didn't make it? Um, you know, exercises, we, we have, you know, cognitive-related exercises where we track numbers and we, we you know, introduce crowd noise and then we, we have uh, races to uh, identify numbers and colors and different types of things, Stroop pattern recognition tests that we'll do for five, 10 minutes as a part of, you know, what we're doing, um, you know, just to, just to make the point that, that I can only sustain one thought at a time, the law of substitution, uh, and I control that thought. And when my mind is focused on knowing what that thought is, that's where it goes. Like Russell enters a game focusing in really three areas great balance, you know, great fundamentals and being engaged. Those are the things that are going to allow him to be successful. So he's going back to those words, picks a spot in the stadium, locks into it. And then, you know, as he gets on the stadium, you know, it says, I am here, reminds himself like where he's at. And then we use trigger words like built for this, you know, I'm like, you know, reminding like I'm built for during the Super Bowl in that moment, you know, uh, confidence is, is, is not bullshit. You have to earn it. Um, and it's not words, it's uh, the combination of the fact that you think you can execute your job. And, uh, you know, so um, that's kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of important thing to understand. Um, but I think that it's just, it's the more that you have a general understanding of how your mind works, how you influence it, how other people are impacting it, you know, then that's going to allow you if you're an ultra marathoner, I, you know, spend a lot of time with Under Armour, you know, when, when we get older and training's our sport, right? We're not, we're not competing anymore in the same way, but training, uh, you know, how do we, um, navigate, put our plan in place, set our goals, um, you know, to go out and compete, whether we're hiking, you know, or, or if you're like me, uh, in your 40s now, and, and, and you know, I, I'm just, I'm, a, I'm an avid hiker. You know, I love, I love going up into the mountains, and I'm, I'm not trying to beat anybody for it. You know, I'm going to go up there for 90 minutes or two hours, and I'm going to exercise, and I have certain things, and I'll do yoga, you know, just to focus on my core and other elements and things like that. But I'm not, uh, I'm not an ultra marathoner. I'm not David Goggins, you know, or any of those types of people. But um, I, I just think the more you understand what it is that's going to allow you to succeed, then you choose on a day-in, day-out basis, um, you know, whether or not you're going to do those things. And then you have to understand, really, it's not a choice if you want to be good. You're either going to do it or you're not. So, you know, I think that, that that's, you know, that's, that's what I've seen, you know. And to objectively, in, in, in my 19 years, uh, nothing happens by accident. Oh, it's so awesome, man. And once again, Trevor, we appreciate you joining the show. Can you tell us what's in the works for Trevor Moad? What do you got, what do you got going on moving forward and where can we find you? Yeah. So I, I you know, uh, in the deeply embedded in the sports world, you're a lot different than the Gary Vaynerchuk's and those, you know, you're not social media is not really a part of what we do, but the last seven, eight months I've joined Instagram. So at Trevor Moad, um, I've got Twitter at Trevor Moad. Russell Wilson and I have a company called Limitless Minds. Really cool. Uh, we've integrated some very interesting concepts uh, into the business world, working with some of the top business uh, uh, businesses in the world. I actually just finished a webinar um, for one of the top pharmaceutical companies in the world uh, a few hours ago. 
Uh, that's thinkbig-gofar.com. Thinkbig-gofar.com. That's Limitless Minds. Uh, but you know, you can find me under Trevor Moat. It takes, uh, Trevor Moat. It takes what it takes is available everywhere. Um, and it's been great. You know, I, I, for somebody that doesn't have a big name, uh, you know, for us to be a Wall Street Journal, uh, national bestseller and, and moving the needle. And, and I think the idea of neutral thinking with, without trying to force positivity and learning how to minimize negative, I think it's, uh, you know, unfortunately in many ways timely right now. Uh, because I think so many people, um, you know, are are really struggling to 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 steer themselves clear of you know the the, the negativity that's out there. I mean, I haven't watched uh, anything other than Netflix uh, in 23 days. I mean, I, I haven't turned on the TV, including ESPN, because ESPN will run a ticker and it'll say this person died, this person died, this person died, and that you know, for me, strategically, there's just no upside in that. I get my information uh, every Monday and Friday uh, from an NBA team I work with that says, this is the truth. This is what's going on. This is what's happening in Southern California. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to stay safe. This is how you need to be a citizen. So I live in the real world. I know what's going on. I don't get any other information than that. Man, I, I appreciate you uh, letting us know that as well um, and telling us where you're located. So we'll make sure to put those in the description here. And guys, once again, go check out the book. It takes what it takes. You've heard me talk about it probably 10 times now in the last two weeks, and I don't care because I think it's amazing. Trevor, once again, appreciate you joining the show. Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a blessing. All right. T- take care, brother. Guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode with Trevor Moad, the author of It Takes What It Takes. And I encourage you guys once again to go and read this book. Now, if you guys enjoyed the episode, again, give me five stars. Go leave me a review and tune in. Subscribe to the show so I can bring you more content in the coming weeks. Take care, guys.